Savior King of Kings. Sinners in derision crowned him, mocking thus the Savior's claim. Saints and angels crowd around him, own his title, praise his name. Crown him, crown him, spread abroad the victor's fame. Hark those bursts of acclamation, hark those loud triumphant chords. Jesus takes the highest station. Oh, what joy the saints are for. Crown him, crown him, King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you. Brother George, would you lead us in our opening prayer?
professor for the message. Let's sing number 264 in Trinity. 264 in Trinity. Let's stand together as we sing. asked me to prepare just a few minutes and not a full message because we have so much to do this morning. So just want us to take a look <clears throat> a little bit and direct your thoughts to the topic of being alive with the resurrected Christ. And before 
Uh, we look into that. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we are dependent on you for everything, uh, for the very life that we have at this moment, for the breath that now inhabits our lungs, for the blood that courses through our veins, everything that we have, every bit of life is of you. We ask this morning that you would send your spirit mightily upon your people. We need your spirit for every part of this worship, uh, for the speaking that I'll be doing, for the listening that uh, our people will be doing at this time, Father, everything that is done needs your spirit. And we ask, Lord, that you would send him upon us this morning. May the Lord Jesus Christ be honored in all that is done. And we ask these things in his holy name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is obviously the most paramount event to occur in history. And the resurrection of Christ vindicates his flawless life before God. It signifies the death of sin and death itself. It grants hope in its truest sense to the believer. It is the death knell of Satan and his followers. It is the dawn of a new age. And it is the beginning of the end. All of these things are true and all of these things are relevant. And all of these things are significant. However, few of us view the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as something to be emulated. Yet that is what scripture calls us to do. We know that we were crucified with Christ, that in a very real sense, we were being nailed to the cross along with him on that dreadful day. And we know that to be crucified with Christ has to do with the idea of dying to ourselves and our desires of the flesh. But for a few minutes this morning, I want us to look at the resurrection of Christ as something that helps us in our understanding of sanctification. And hopefully God will bless us with a greater understanding of his purpose for us to be holy people. We are often told that we need to live for Christ, and that is because of his sacrificial death on our behalf, we ought to live in a state of indebtedness to him. The cost of our sins is outlined in the parable of the debtor in Matthew 18, 24, and that reads, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, an immeasurable amount. Once we were debtors to sin and death, You'll find that in Romans 6, 15 and 16. We were bound with a ransom too great to calculate. Now, as a result of the substitutionary death of Christ, we are bound as slaves to righteousness. Romans 6, verse 18. And the note, or the deed to our lives, is held by none other than God himself. And while I agree that we owe a debt to Christ that we cannot repay, I do not believe that this should be the reason for our motivation to be holy. For in Colossians 2.14, God says that he has canceled the debt. He no longer holds the tremendous debt over us as a reason to serve him, and we should not think this way. The process of the mortification of ourselves is twofold. Yes, we are now dead to sin and the flesh, but we are also alive in Christ. And this latter idea, alive in Christ, would not have been possible without a risen Christ. You see, it is Christ in his resurrected state that provides us with the impetus to live for him, or rather, to live with him. And we have within us the very same spirit that breathed life into Christ within that cold, dark tomb. In a very real sense, we are crucified with Christ, and we are made alive in him following our crucifixion. It is this new life within us that strives to be holy, not the dead flesh. We may and must rejoice over the fact that sin and death 
no longer hold mastery over us, but we must glory in the fact that we now live in Christ because he lives. What good is it, brethren, that we remain dead to sin but not alive in Christ? That's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. The measure of a Christian should not be merely the death wound that is evidence of our slain sinful self, but also the evidence of a resurrected life. It should be one that strives to be holy because the resurrected Christ who lives inside us desires us to be holy as well. And here is where I start to have some issues with our present sayings within Christendom. We say that we must live for Christ because of what he has done. I would like us to consider saying that we must live with Christ because of what he continues to do. The idea of repaying a debt to a creditor has a great deal of impersonality associated with the relationship. We owe, we work to pay back what we owe, and it's all very businesslike. It is almost as if it sounds that living for Christ makes him to be external to us, and nothing could be further from the truth. Christ is living in us and is at work within us to make us holy like himself. This is an ongoing project of deconstruction and reconstruction. In fact, Christ is at work within his people right now in this very moment. And the idea of being alive with him and actively putting to death the deeds of the flesh is a more accurate look at our relationship. There are a few texts that I want to mention this morning that deal with being alive with Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Ephesians 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And what about Colossians 2, 9 through 14? For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Now all of this happens to us as a result of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came in bodily form, certainly Emmanuel, God with us. When he ascended into heaven, Emmanuel was less true than, he was, than it was when he was with us. But mere days after his ascension, he sent his spirit to forever indwell his people. And that's Emmanuel on a more personal note. Whereas people had to travel many distances to see Jesus, the spirit is as close as we are to ourselves. Whereas Christ lived on earth 2,000 years ago, and we cannot travel back in time to see him, he, that same Jesus who walked among men, healed the sick and raised the dead, is right here within us. And what a tremendous gift we have as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Christ is not just an event to be celebrated by his people. It is not only the tremendous victory of Christ over his enemies. It is also the call to a new life of holiness for us as believers. We live literally because he lives. 
We love literally because he loves. We are holy literally because he is holy. We are good literally because he is good. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we are merely dead bones. Let us look to Christ this morning as our reason for life, as our model of holiness, as our risen champion, as our friend that is truly closer than a brother, and let us, let us thank him gratefully and continually for the gift of Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of Emmanuel, God with us. And what a tremendous gift it is to have you residing within us. Whereas before you were external in terms of our relationship with you, Father, to, to come and live with us and to be a part of us is, is a tremendous and, and a mind-staggering thing. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to reveal to us more truth from your word and that you will send your spirit upon your people. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor. Thank you, Jared. sing the hymn, He Lives, I think it's in the brown hymnal, 220, 220 in the brown hymnal. I serve a risen Savior, he's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today.
Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian, lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King, the hope of all who seek Him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so take the uh, communion offering this morning. This offering goes to help people out of our benevolent fund. We're always thankful and appreciative when we can do that. <coughs> Let's pray together. Our Lord, we're thankful and appreciative for the bounty that you give to us as a church and individually as families. You take care of all of our needs. We ask, therefore, that you'll bless the giving of our uh, hearts this morning. We do give because we love other people. We love them even in their time of need. And we pray that in a practical way, the Benevolent Fund helps us to show uh, that uh, love in a God and gracious way. You were so giving, Lord, giving of yourself, your time, your effort, your condescension, your coming to be a servant. You were a servant from the day you came to the day of your departure. And we praise you for that example. Now bless us as we give in Christ's name. For our testimony time this morning, I'm going to ask a little bit of difference than we normally do. Uh, no prayer requests. I just want us to direct our thoughts on the Lord Jesus Christ and God in his salvation. 
And I'm wondering if uh, you would be willing to share some of your favorite thoughts about God, about the Lord Jesus Christ, about your salvation this morning. Take a few moments to do that, and then we'll gather around the Lord's table to remember uh, his work at the cross, burial, and resurrection. So who would be willing to share? What thought might you have about God, his Christ, or your salvation be a blessing to us this morning? Yeah, Terry. Requests in John 17, the very night of his crucifixion. What's he concerned about? Not himself, but about his disciples. And as Terry has indicated, he prays for them. The whole prayer centers around him returning to God's glory and praying for those he's leaving behind. Others? Dale. Very good thoughts there. Not one has been, has slipped by the blood of his cross. Amen. Uh, Star, I think I saw your hand. You know, the only reason the way that the Bible is viable for today, as in the days in which it was written, is because of what Star just said. God does not change. So we think about all the dimensions of that. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his program. He doesn't change his operations. He does not change. It is all mapped out in the mind of God, and everything is occurring just as he determined it to be. And you're in that plan. I'm in that plan. How wonderful that he does not change. That's why salvation is secure if you're in Christ. Uh, the Lord God of heaven is looking to his son's work that's how we're secure. Jerry brought that out this morning. 
And then he gives us the indwelling of his spirit to keep us on track. It does not revoke his salvation. It does not change. Someone else. Thoughts about God or Christ? Yeah, George. You know, sometimes if we are um, raised in a home where there's not a lot of love shown, what you're bringing out, I had a young lady in, in uh, Pennsylvania that went through the same thing because in her home her father was so abusive, and I don't mean sexually, but angry all the time and bitter and nasty and, you know, just in her face all the time. She came to me one day and she said, what you said, Pastor, I'm having trouble with the concept that God, as a father, would love me. And she says, every time you preach on that or you make reference to the fact that God is our father and that he loves us and cares for us and so forth, I didn't have that, she says. I didn't experience that in my life. And, and then uh, she came to the same conclusion kind of a background way. Her conclusion was, I have to trust what the scripture says about my <coughs> heavenly father. He becomes the pattern for fatherhood. The fact that my earthly father didn't live up to that pattern <coughs> is not where I take my definition of God. But I take my definition of God from what the Bible declares him to be. And that, I thought, was a good thought. She... Uh, she was trying to wean herself away from what she was experiencing in life and not making her experience the definition of what God the Father is like. Amen. Good thoughts. Someone else. Donna. My sister and her husband had to tear up some bulbs in, in order to build a patio. They built one of those patios with uh, sand and, and, and tile on top of it. And this year... One of the tiles came popping off, and the bulbs came up. And I'm, and I'm thinking, it looked like everything was dead under there, but in fact something was alive. And our 
our risen Savior. Um, he not only created the, the life in that bulb, he created life all over. And though he was actually dead and battling for our, our salvation, he came alive again. He is the life-giving force of everything. He was creator God from the beginning. He is still creator God. Have you ever seen that? The power of these little shoots that come up in the spring. They're able to move rocks out of the way and everything else. It's power in life. Don is the gift of that. Okay, others? Jerry. Others? As Christians, we really rejoice in the fact that God is not like us. Right? Think about that. He's not like us. So we don't want to define God in terms of who we are, what we like, what our preferences are, and all of that business. We, we create problems because of who we are and what we're like. But he's bigger than us, as you mentioned. He's different from us. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He tells us that in Isaiah. And uh, that's what makes God God and uh, makes us bow and worship him and praise him. Someone else. Anyone? Jess.
And if, as we look into the gospel accounts, we, we learn that the disciples themselves really had trouble believing that Christ had risen, even though he foretold all of these various things. And when the women came from the tomb that uh, Jess referenced and told the disciples, <laughs> they didn't believe it. They had to go and investigate for themselves. Peter and John hoofed it out to the tomb for, on behalf of the others. When Christ appeared to them in the upper room, in the closed room, you have Thomas saying, I won't believe unless I get to put my hands into his side and my fingers into the nail prints in his hands. And Jesus appeared among them all and rebuked Thomas saying, be believing, the Greek, be believing. You know? So they struggled with that. And it's a good point we're making. We're on the, the other side of that. Anyone else? Thoughts about Christ? God, about your salvation. All right. Then let's sing together, number 520. I'm going to ask Doug and Dale if they'll come and help at the table. 520, let's stand together. It's in the red hymnal. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. Number 520 in the red hymnal. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress, midst flaming worlds in these arrayed with joy shall. Shall I stand in that great day? For who ought to my charge shall lay? Holy and so <coughs> from sin and fear, from guilt and shame, when from the dust of death I rise.
Amen. Please be seated. that you will bless the ordinance as we come to remember that it was 
death was in fact the atoning payment for our sin. None of us can atone for ourselves. There is no righteousness in us. No deeds of righteousness that could atone for us. But your son, your son, Jesus, lived perfectly. And so we look to him and his righteousness. That is the atonement work. We look to his cross work of a perfect life to pay for the sin the day in which he rose from the grave. And so we celebrate that on this day. Bless our
see the sun breaking through the clouds and remind us of, um, of righteousness that has arisen in us. We thank you for the day. We thank you for the food that we're about to eat, the fellowship around the table. We thank you, Lord, for the service to come. We pray your blessing upon our time for the glory of Christ. We give you. We're dismissed.